Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends at Cafe Brewing, home of the Jobber IPA. And if you love the good craft beer as much as a broken Spanish announce table, be sure to follow Cafe Brewing on Facebook and be sure to follow Cafe Brewing on Twitter. With that being said, my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz and John, today we're going to holla, holla, holla and do a little thugging and bugging as we welcome in, as corny as that was, the man himself, Teddy Long, a.k.a. Theodore R. Long, a guy who's endeared himself to professional wrestling for nearly 30 years as he's been with the NWA, WCW, the WWF, and of course the WWE. In the WWE, we all know him as the lovable Teddy Long, general manager with the dancing, the playa, the thugging and bugging, all that great stuff. And that's just one small aspect of Teddy Long's career. We're going to hit all of that. But what is it that endears him still to the WWE universe, to professional wrestling fans after all these years? What is it about Teddy Long that makes him absolutely amazing? Yes. Chatty boy, back again here with the two-man power trip of wrestling. Gotta love it. Another amazing interview, another amazing guest. This time, Theodore R. Long, a.k.a. Teddy Long. And you said something very interesting. You said, you know, kind of what endears Teddy Long to the masses? You know, what gets him over, quote-unquote, after all these years? And you know what's so funny about him? He's so, it's almost like a quiet charisma at first, and then when he starts talking and, and and moving around and dancing and stuff, then you see the charisma he has, and he's just such a character, and he's so entertaining, and you know, one thing that kind of strikes me, because I remember him first, obviously, as a referee, and we get into all that about how he got into the business and becoming a referee and all that stuff, but what's super interesting was when, you know, they kind of develop, like, this guy is hilarious, you know, this guy's got mic skills, and, you know, when... uh 
some of the guys like Kevin Sullivan and Eddie Gilbert trying to get him over with uh, Jim Ross and some of the higher-ups in WCW realized that this guy was more than just a referee. He could have been a great manager, which he then became. And great talker, you know, great announcer. I mean, he kind of did it all there in WCW, and he was very impressive. And you, you just think about those great mic skills, and you think about what really got him over, and it's so funny. Yes, he's a great talker. Yes, he's hilarious. Yes, he's entertaining. But those catchphrases, I mean, even obviously we're, then we're kind of moving way forward into WWF days or his WWE days when he became the GM and stuff like that. But even before that when he was the manager, the thugging and bugging enterprises and a bunch of great guys that he managed at that point, including Rodney Mack and Mark Henry and Chris Nowinski and Mark Jindrak. Like, that was just very, very cool and very funny with Theodore alone. But those catchphrases, man, who thugging and bugging, him calling everybody player, holla, holla, holla. And then now he's uh, coming up with some new ones, uh, including I'm Telling You. So, I mean, he's just so catchy and, and he's just, you know, anything he says kind of just sticks with you because he's got that kind of charisma about him and he's so entertaining and he's so funny. And just, you know, even talking to him off air, you know, him, him call me play and stuff, it's just so funny and just, you know, it's just so entertaining and he's just such a great guy. He's such a good storyteller, just unbelievable. And uh, it was awesome to be thugging and bugging with him. Thugging and bugging is definitely the theme of the show when it comes to Teddy. Of course, the catchphrases, we will mention them with Teddy. But I want to talk about first something that I think that might get overlooked by today's fan if they just know him as Teddy Long, the SmackDown general manager. And that's his time as a manager. Of course, you know, the older fans that we have, and of course, you and I, you know, it's referenced highly. Uh, We're a fan of that old school era and Teddy Long is the manager of Doom and also, uh, you know, a couple other guys in WCW is what we remember him very fondly as. Even, uh, you know, the referee stint before, you know, you remember him, but you didn't really know him. But as a manager, especially the manager of Doom, Teddy Long was the man. And I think now sometimes maybe it gets a little overshadowed just how good of a manager he really was. You think back with Teddy Long, obviously, you know, he did so much in the wrestling business. And we, you know, talked a little bit about him being a GM and, and so on and so forth. And obviously he was a referee and he did a lot of stuff backstage. But you got to talk about, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, should get more attention than it does was him as a manager. He was such a good manager. He managed so many good guys and he only added to the guy. You know what I mean? Sometimes some of the managers almost are getting themselves over and they're almost um, becoming more popular than the guy that they are managing. But with Teddy, it was great because he just nothing but add to it. Think about when he was Theodore R. Long in WCW with uh, Doom. He just totally added to that team and just made them one of the best tag teams of the 90s and just totally added to the awesomeness that was Ron Simmons and Butch Reed at that point. And then I remember him with the Skyscrapers, obviously, and we get some great stories about uh, Mean Mark, a.k.a. The Undertaker, who he had a big-time history with and he's known for a very long time we get into that as well and then we get into some of the guys that you know lesser known that he managed that uh, he really really enjoyed a lot like obviously you know the Roddy Max of the world who I mentioned before but a guy who kind of maybe uh, surprised us a little bit who we mentioned was that he loved managing Ice Train he felt that he added a lot to him and his character as well and I totally totally agree and of course you can't mention uh, him being a manager without mentioning uh, jumping Joey Mags. So it was just funny some of the guys that they paired him with because you could clearly see that they were trying to add to the guy and they were trying to give him some more character and not 
you know, kind of just be a guy. They wanted him to have somebody that could give him some guidance and give him some entertainment value. And who better to give some entertainment value to those wrestlers than Theodore R. Long, a.k.a. Teddy Long, because he was absolutely fantastic at not only, you know, getting himself over, but getting his wrestlers over as well. I think one of the defining lines of this interview by Teddy Long is that Vince said to him, how did he not know that he had this talent and that he was right under his nose the whole time after he had come into the WWF from leaving WCW in 1998? And it took a couple of years, and he refereed in the WWF, and it's like you always get your start with that referee spot and work your way up. But when he became the SmackDown general manager in 2004, obviously it was career-changing, potentially career-defining, and there are so many great memories you could really reference right here in this intro, but... I want to save it for when Teddy talks about it because there's just so many that we get to cover. And he's got so many stories and possibly the best story transitions by anyone we've ever had on that he can go from telling us something to giving us a story about the same scenario. And, of course, that SmackDown general manager, tenure of his, both of them, and then even his last appearance as the, uh, the SmackDown special general manager for the 15th anniversary last year. You know, obviously, he's really, he's a true gem, and that SmackDown general manager tenure, again, just proves how good he really is, is not just an entertainer, but as an on-screen character. Oh, yeah, chatty boy, you're saying possibly the greatest ever to be the GM, the general manager role in the WWE. Possibly, he could possibly be, but you know what, I kind of didn't really like the you know that that storyline after a while the uh, the general manager storyline or the quote unquote authority storyline I thought it kind of got old and a little boring I mean I kind of liked Eric Bischoff in that role and obviously I love Teddy Long in that role but most of the people that play that role or were involved in the role kind of got old and tired and boring but you know what with Teddy Long it never really did he was just so entertaining and he's just so you know he just grasps your attention and he's so funny that you know he never even if it was a stupid storyline it never really got like to the point where you're like oh god Teddy Long he was just so funny and so entertaining you just wanted to hear what he would say next and wanted to you know almost um you couldn't wait to see what kind of funny thing would come out of his mouth so it was just great i mean the crystal marshall storyline i don't know why i just love that i mean she is obviously a beautiful woman i mean besides that but the storyline was just so funny that the wedding angle with her and that whole thing that was funny um he had an entertaining feud with uh, vicky guerrero obviously he had an entertaining feud with eric bischoff and then i really liked the stuff he did with johnny ace i thought that um aka John Laurinaitis, I thought that they played off each other great, and he totally was such an entertaining guy, and uh, we do get into the, you know, awesome, famous Teddy Long quote where he's going to make it a tag team main event, and we do get into, you know, how funny that truly is, and how they basically, every week on SmackDown would would turn a, you know, one-on-one main event into a tag team match. I mean, it was just every week, and we kind of get into that, and he, you know, he kind of, obviously, he's in, he's in on the joke, so to speak. I mean, he, he knows uh, all about it, and, and he just, he, he loves it, and he saw some clips on YouTube of, of it, and he really loved it. And, you know, speaking of YouTube, there's a great clip that we just recently put up with Teddy Long, kind of a little preview clip of a great ribs, some great rib stories, but this one in particular was a Viagra story in uh, the wrestler's court, so please check out YouTube for that clip because that's hilarious and uh not only you know do you have that story but you got a plenty other rib stories with ron simmons talking about the steiner brothers awesome stuff from teddy just great and it's just great to hear 
a lot of stuff about him as a GM as well because he was a long time SmackDown general manager and they brought him back as a GM at one point so I mean he quite a long run and then if you remember he had the ECW run as well with the new talent initiative so I mean obviously Vince and we get it, do get into it loved Teddy Long and loved his entertainment value and really thought he was great and really appreciated Teddy Long on the mic so sit back and enjoy because this is one of our favorites Totally one of our favorites. I know we say that a lot, but it's again, each interview just seems to be better than the next. And Teddy Long was no difference. You know, the conversation we had off the air was just as entertaining as the interview itself. And we really thank Teddy Long for joining us. And hopefully he will be back in the future. And that would be completely off the wall, playa. You feel me? But being a little serious here, why don't we talk about today being broadcast with our new partner, Cafe Brewing. And John, you can tell them a little bit more about Cafe Brewing and also the fact we have joined the TopRowPress.com radio network, sending them some exclusive best ofs and getting together some original content that's going to be headed their way in the very near future. And with that being said, John, hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. And again, tell them a little bit more about Cafe Brewing. This episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling has been brought to you by Cafe Brewing, home of the Jobber IPA. If you love a good craft beer as much as a broken Spanish announce table, be sure to follow Cafe Brewing on Facebook and Twitter. Yet again, that is Cafe Brewing, and check them out on Facebook, and check them out on Twitter. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there and please check out TopRopePress.com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today. Also, some more TNPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan Lariat Hansen, The Blueprint, Matt Morgan. Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back, and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and why you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts 
and you too can be a member of the Bike Club. And now, without any further ado, the manager of champions, Theodore R. Long, aka the greatest general manager in the history of the business, the former SmackDown GM, a former ECW GM, a man who is thugging and bugging. I'm telling you, he is the original player, Teddy Long. Please you go. know it's the Mac Militant. Coming to get it all. Trip of wrestling. Uh, thank you guys very much for having me, man. I know this is my first time uh, having a chance to talk to you guys, so I feel real honored to be doing that. And once again, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And really, John and I have just been psyched all day getting ready for the interview. And it's obviously a lot of fun when you can go back and relive some of the moments and some of the magic of Teddy Long. But I guess one place I'd want to start is the last time we saw you was about a year ago, uh, the 15th anniversary of SmackDown, which in itself is, uh, is kind of crazy. It doesn't feel like it's been now 16 years since uh, the anniversary of SmackDown beginning. But, you know, you look at the fact that that appearance was such a great moment, and, you know, you and Johnny Ace, your, your chemistry is just off the charts. But with the WWE itself, and from the first day you stepped out as the SmackDown general manager through that moment, how much it actually changed in prepping for a show like a, a live SmackDown, especially in 2014, the landscape a little different than in 2004. Well, uh, well, for me, there was no prepping that day. Uh, you know, sometimes there's usually a uh, rehearsal, you know, uh, to what we're going to do, uh, basically, you know, to go over things and make sure everybody's right. But, uh, you know, Vince always knew that he didn't, you know, I've, I've had rehearsals, but he always knew that he didn't really have to give them to me. All he had to do was uh, give me what he wanted want wanted done, and I would always be able to go out there and do that. So it was really no prepping for me. I mean, you know, I had been gone for a year, but when I walked out, it was just like I'd, you know, I'd never left. And uh, so, you know, I, I always took my job real serious, you know, and so whenever I, when I went back to do that anniversary, you know, I knew exactly where I was once again. I was back in the hands of uh, Vince McMahon, and you don't play around up there. You do your work, you do your job, and you keep Vince happy, and uh, that's what I did. Yeah, it's a great appearance again. Like I said, you know, just going back and watching some of the clips getting ready for today, it's it's so great that once your music hits, you know, the crowd just ultimately gets up in unison. They go crazy as usual. But with that year being gone, it didn't even seem like it. It was like a blink. You know, and as they always tried, it seemed like they were moving away from you as the general manager. You're always back into that role. And what did it mean to be the SmackDown general manager and on TV for so long in that role? Because you really define the show for quite a long time, being the face of it, you know, as long as you were. Well, it, 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 it meant a lot to me because, you know, I've been in professional wrestling for over 30 years, you know, and so uh, basically, you know, as uh, the longer you stay in this business, you know, the more you learn and the more experience you get. 
So uh, basically, you know, when I was in uh, the NWA and WCW, you know, I had a few guys back in the day. You know, I had Butch Reed, Ron Simmons. They were uh, the first uh, uh, Afro-American World Tag Team Champions. And, uh, you know, like, you know, basically, you know, when you're always trying to get a break, you know, it looked like it's something somewhere that always, you know, stops you. So that's kind of what it was happening with me in NWA and WCW. You know, every time, you know, we get something going good, then somebody would want to break it up or want me to do something else or break the team up. But I was able to go to New York and go to work for Vince. And once Vince McMahon just, you know, found out what I could do, then he was real pleased with me. And he was the only person that ever actually gave me a break. And I wanted to reward him, you know, for giving me that because I was just, I always wanted to show people that said I didn't have any talent, that I had talent. And Vince McMahon helped me prove that, you know. And so my thing up there with him is, uh, you know, I'm going to make this work. Whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to portray myself. I really found out, you know, what my character really was. My character basically was just me. Uh, I, the word player, I just started saying it around the house. I had this big dog. I had a lab, and uh, I used to call him all the time. His name was Boss, but I quit calling him Boss, and I started calling him Player right around the house, you know, and then all of a sudden I just took that to TV, and I started using it. And uh, I'll give you another example. The dance that I, that I do, you know, a lot of people think that that's something big. Well, it's it's big to me because my grandson – he we we bought him this little walker thing and every time he'd get in that thing he would just bounce up and down you know it was kind of like the dance so i started doing the dance on tv because i was wanting my grandson to watch it and let him know that i was doing his dance so that was kind of an inside secret with me and the grand grandson so that's how the dance come about i just started doing what my grandson was doing in that little walker so i was able to you know just be myself and when you can be yourself you know you can be more relaxed when you're out there trying to portray a character you know you're trying to get somebody over i wasn't trying to get nobody over but me so i was able to adapt and i was able to learn vince mcmahon's way that's another thing you do you learn his way you you'll be there for a long time so i was able to do all that with the help of god god blessed me to live my dream i made it you know to the top you know i i mean general manager for 10 years you know you i'm not a wrestler so i didn't have to look forward to going to trying to be the world heavyweight champion and then but to make it to general manager for that long and in the position that i was in you know i made it to the top so thanks to god and thanks to Vince McMahon, you know i was able to live my dream and Everything worked out for me there at SmackDown. So, you know, everything comes to an end. So when it was time for them to not to want me anymore, you know, it didn't bother me. I just walked away happy because, I, you know, everything, you know, worked out for me. Yeah, that's great. And what you touched on there was fantastic. And the fact that Vince McMahon had all that faith in you once he realized what you could do. And one of the things that you did in going from WCW to the WWF at the time was going from being still an on-air manager, you know, in, the, in late 97 into 98, and you jump over to WWF where you become a referee. And, of course, at that point, anybody who went, it always stuck out like a sore thumb. So that everybody's seeing, oh, there's Teddy Long. He's back to being a referee, but he's in the WWF. And I think, and I can, only, I can speak for myself, and I'm sure my co-host agrees, we were always waiting for Teddy Long to kind of, you know, emerge past the referee status and into what you eventually ended up doing because we love – you know, thugging and bugging enterprises, and we're going to get to that. But when you jumped and you took back that referee role that, you know, you obviously you had in the NWA, you know, how was that getting back into refereeing and, you know, kind of working your way back up the chain but now in a different company? 
Well, that's you know that's the way of the, of the wrestling business. You know, when I uh, first uh, went to New York in uh, 1998 to work with Vince as a referee, uh, that didn't bother me at all because you know I knew that you know I was going into a new environment and in this business, you know, so, you know, in order for you to make it, sometimes you have to pay your dues. So you know, my deal was I, I had a better deal there than I had in WCW. You know, they paid me good when I was a referee, so it didn't bother me. That's that's what this business is all about. It's about about the money. You know, make you some money and you know keep your mouth shut and enjoy your life. So like I said, I was making good money refereeing, so it didn't bother me whether I went back in and managing or not. You know, I had a job. So uh, the way that came about, I think they had a meeting one day, and uh, this is what I was told. I wasn't in the meeting, but I was told this by some reputable people. I think Sergeant Slaughter, he was in there, Earl Hebner, and Michael Hayes. And uh, they were looking for somebody that could talk. You know, they wanted to go back to, man- you know, to having managers. And so my name, you know, came up. And uh, they really, I think Slaughter and all those guys kind of really spoke up for me. And they, and I heard that Ben said, well, if he can, if, if he can talk, that you know, get, let's get him up here. So they they called me. Well, I I went home. I was refereeing, and then I went home because Jack Lanza, I remember him telling me, he said, well, Vince is trying to figure out what he wants to do with you, how he wants to use you. So I was at home, and I got the call to come up there one day about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They called me to come to Providence, Rhode Island. And when I got to Providence, Rhode Island, uh, that's when I found out that I was going to start managing. So that's the time I walked out with D'Lo Brown, and uh, I cut this promo on Tommy Dreamer. And uh, when I finished the promo and I walked back through the, through the gorilla position where Vince was, he just stood up and, you know, and just like clapping, giving me a standing ovation. And he said to me, he said, I, I, I can't believe I had you right here under my nose all this time. And so from then on, you know, that's 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 kind of how it started. So he gave me people to manage, and so I got out there and did what I do, and uh, that's how it happened. You know, it's great that they you know finally put you on TV and bugging and bugging enterprises. Obviously, people remember and. Uh, you know, down with the brand. Well, I, that was my idea, brand. too. Well, I thought up that, that thugging and bugging, you know. That was one of my sayings, you know. So, you know, Vince, uh, you know, he he kind of liked it because, you know, when you when you, when you he give you something, your character, you know, you just can't sit around and wait on the writers and all those people to try to give you something to do, uh, write something for you. You got to be thinking and trying to help yourself. So I was always trying to help myself with my character. And you definitely did, and you definitely got over the guys you were managing. And one guy in particular I was going to mention was Rodney Mack, because, you know, everyone remembers Back to Mack, and, you know, obviously the Mack Millicent, a great theme song. But, you know, what was it like kind of being paired with him? Because you really got him over, and he was really, you know, essentially becoming, a you know, a pretty, you know, pretty main part of Raw at that point. Right. Well, you know, uh, and uh, you, uh, you speak about him. I talked to him maybe last week because uh, he's down in Louisiana now, Rodney. is. Him and Jazz, you know, they're married. they got two uh, lovely daughters, you know, which are real big girls now. And uh, he's got uh, an uh, indie company there. I can't think of the name of it, but they were, were talking to me about coming down and doing a show, you know, for him. And uh, like I said, with Rodney, <laughs> this, this is kind of inside, too. A lot of the guys would always, uh, you know, uh, get on me about it. They said, how can you go out and talk about the white boy challenge when you're standing out there with a guy that looks like a white guy? So Rodney was just that that, that, that light skin to, you know, he looked like a white guy. So the guys would always joke with me about it. You know, you're talking about the white guy, then you're walking out with a white guy. So that was just kind of funny that we did. But with Rodney, he was he was great. He was great to work with. Uh 
you know, he was eager to learn, you know, and like I said, he wasn't a bad wrestler in the ring. So we, me and him had a lot of fun. And so, you know, Vince, you know, ran with that. That was good. And we adapted Mark Henry. He came on board with us. So I had Rodney and, and Mark Henry at one time. And then we had Christopher Nowinski. He uh, jumped in there, too. So, we, we, you know, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, Chris Nowinski, you know, a little bit of a different pairing for you, but you obviously, you know, you guys made it work, and Mark Henry worked great for you guys, and then I believe, you know, you managed Mark Jindrak for a little bit as well. Yeah, the reflection of perfection, and uh, I, <laughs> that that was, a, I said a lot of stuff there that uh, that came, you know, came to my mind. I think we were somewhere one time, and we talked about the, the Botox, about women using Botox or something. I don't know what it was, but we was in California or something, but, boy, I said something about that Botox. They got hot. They didn't like that. So, But I had a lot of fun with Mark Jindrake, too. We we did a show, you know, some years back in Mexico, and so I had a chance to see him. That's where he is down there. So he looks great, and, and uh, he's doing well. Now, with you, obviously, you know, you're, you're gone from WWE and everything else like that, but what are you doing nowadays? Are you still connected to the wrestling business? Are you doing anything, you know, wrestling-related nowadays? Well, what I'm doing now, man, is let me say this. I am so glad to be at home. You know what I mean? Let me give you this. Man, for 25 years of my life, I traveled. I never did unpack my suitcase. I came home, took the dirty clothes out, washed them, put them back in, and kept on going. I was home for maybe a couple of days. So, brother, you know, it was a blessing from God that I came home because I was burnt out, man. I was so stressed and burnt out. You you, you cannot imagine. So uh, I came home and got me some rest and got my, you know, got back in the gym. I was in the gym all the time when I was working, but, you know, but it's more better when you're at home. You know, you can, you know, really train and get yourself in shape. So I've been uh, back at home at training, getting myself in shape. I'm down to now to about 152 pounds, you know, and so I'm doing a lot of cardio, staying there, eating right and taking care of myself. And I am doing uh, running a company down in Mobile, Alabama. It's called the Alabama Wrestling Federation. And uh, I went down there and started, you know, helping this guy out. And he has, you know, everything he needs to run a company. You know, he's got the lights. He's got all the stuff that we need to produce a good show. He just didn't know what to do for his storylines and stuff, you know. And I've been around a long time. I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy, but I'm not the dumbest guy either. So I was able to get with him and, you know, try to get him to understand that all this stuff you got down here, let's use it, let's make some money, let's give these people some good wrestling shows down here, don't charge them a whole lot of money, fix it where they can afford to come and enjoy wrestling, and that's what we're doing. And also, you know, I'm I'm getting a lot of bookings from people that call me to come in and do independent shows. They want me to maybe be GM for the night or do my favorite deal, come in, make a tag team match, and uh, do meet and greet signings. I do comic cons, and uh, I just do a lot of other stuff. So I'm still involved with wrestling. It's just that I'm able to do it on my time now and on my terms, and it's so comfortable. And you know, I don't know stress and all that. And you just don't know how good I feel. So, and I'm gonna throw this out there too, since we're talking about that. What I'm doing, you know, you can, you know, follow me on my Twitter. It's uh, at Teddy Play Along. And I got a website on there that's telling about my my books going to be coming out and a lot of other stuff that I'm doing. The uh, website is TeddyLongWrestling.com, and uh, my Instagram is TeddyLongWrestling. So you know, just keep up with me on all those sites right there. I'm gonna let you know what I'm doing. And like I said, man, I'm at home enjoying myself. I got uh, three grandkids here. I'm having fun with. I got the wife, you know, that I'm getting on her nerves, but she ain't that she can do because I'm stuck here. 
So uh, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> now, you touched on something that was definitely, you know, uh, earmarked for me to talk to you about, and that was, you know, you said they bring you in on shows and they want you to book tag matches and stuff, but, you know, obviously that was kind of the running joke with SmackDown. Every time you'd come out, you know, you, you'd come out and be like, I'm going to change it, and now we're having a tag match. What was, you know, the thought right. process behind that, that every time, you know, you were just going to make tag match after tag match? You know, what were well, you know what? I what never really thought? even, I never, you know, I never really thought about it. There was no really thought behind it. I mean, it was just that, you know, when I got, you know, I was told what to do, we're going to turn this into a tag team match. I just started doing it on my own and, you know, giving the emphasis, you know, like tag team match, you know, doing my thing. And uh, it actually got over. I mean, it's all over YouTube and everything, and everybody wants to see me make that tag team match. <laughs> like when they, you know, kind of bring it to you, and like, okay, we're going to change it, and we're going to make it a tag team match. After a while, do you kind of just like laugh and like, oh, we're making another tag match? Because it was so, you know, so many, you know, times rows. You know, it's basically the classic Teddy Long right. SmackDown line. Well, no, I, you know, you didn't, you, I didn't laugh about it and that because, you know, whatever you, you're told to do, you know, is serious. It's strictly serious with Vince. You don't laugh and play around. So whenever they said tag team match, I'm, I said, well, I'm going out here and make this the best tag team match, better than the other one I made. So that's the way I always thought about it, is being better than the last time. Now, did they ever tell you, like, the thought process behind it, you know, from a booking aspect, like they weren't going to give the one-on-one matches away on SmackDown, that, you know, they'd rather do that on Raw or at a pay-per-view, or did they not even, you know, discuss that aspect of it with you? They never did even discuss that with me. I mean, that stuff like that was probably discussed in the production meetings. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I have been invited to some of the production meetings, but that's voluntarily. You know, you can go, you know, if you want to, you know. But, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I didn't really want to go to those because I didn't really want to know what was happening. You know what I mean? I liked, you know, I was kind of like Vince, you know, just throw it at me, you know, give it to me now. Let me let, let me run with it. So, you know, I never did attend those meetings and stuff like that. I'm, that's where they talked about it at. But they never told me anything about that. All they d- let me knew is that, you know, hey, uh, this match here, you're going to make it a, make it a tag team match. And, no, I mean, really seriously, nobody never thought that it would get over or that it meant anything. We never thought the writers or nobody never came to me and said, man, that's, you know, we just it was just something I did. So funny because that line is, is, you know, obviously it's all over YouTube, it's all over everything. It's almost like the most um, you know, very memorable line from your whole run there. It was like, damn, we're going to make it a tag team match. So is there anyone you could think of, you know, off the top of your head you know, that you're like, oh, that was my favorite tag team match to book? Or, you know, like, as just, you know, you were booking SmackDown? Uh, well, I think the best one I had, I think I booked, uh, golly, man. Jesus Christ, it was, oh, man, let me go back. I mean, every one of them, you know what I mean, you know, was good. I mean, back, you know, then, you know, guys were there, you know, everybody worked their butts off. I mean, they were all good. I mean, I didn't just have, like, a favorite one, you know what I mean? Like I said, we didn't think about it. It was just, hey, tonight they won a tag team match, and that was just it. It it wasn't, you know, I didn't even think about me, you know, which the favorite one that I would you make. I mean, I just I couldn't answer that question for you because I didn't think not one thing about it. You know, me personally it has nothing to do with SmackDown, but more so do with you, and that is, you know, my wheelhouse, which was uh, WCW, kind of, you know, early 90s-ish, and my favorite, you know, tag team Teddy Longstyle 
was Ron Simmons and Butch Reed Doom. Love them. I love that you were Theodore Theodore Arlong. I loved you as a heel. What would your you know your thoughts and experiences like with Ron Simmons and Butch Reed and be putting that awesome tag team in WCW at that point? Well, I had a great time with those two guys, and I <laughs> sometimes are rough and sometimes were you know were smooth. But I enjoyed working with them. Butch Reed, he was a character. Golly, was he a character? So sometimes you know. Um, Butch, he would be late, you know, like not show up. So then I would have to go out and take bumps from the guys, you know, to try to make the people happy because we had no doom. <laughs> you know, there was no tag team there. So, but with him and Ron, I had a great time with them guys, man. And like I said, that Butch was a character, and I used to do stuff to him and make him so mad till he chased me one day. I'm telling you, if he'd have caught me, I imagine he would have just broke every bone in my body. But... Uh, <laughs> But he was great, man, and though that that team was really good, man. I, I never will forget that. And what we're trying to do too, since we're talking about them, which we got, we finally got in touch with Butch. So uh, we're gonna get out there in a little bit. It's gonna be Butch, Ron, and myself, and we're gonna have a Doom reunion, and uh, we're gonna start going around doing a lot of autograph signings and a lot of stuff, because nobody has had the opportunity to see us together except the time that when I married Crystal, and Butch Reed came back for that. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember that well. I, I definitely want to touch on that in a second, but I just wanted to go back to uh, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. You said, you know, you kind of pulling some pranks on Butch. What, you know, what are some things you did to, you know, get under Butch Reed's skin? Uh, well, one night, uh, you know, we had finished, we'd, we'd finished working, you know, and everybody got, you know, showered up and got dressed and got ready to go. And uh, I went in and I told Butch, I said, well, I'm, I mean, I let him get on all his clothes. He's, everything's cologne. He's smelling all good, you know, ready to go. And I went in and told him, man, I know you don't want to hear this, but uh, they want us to work again. So <laughs> so he uh, he got undressed and pulled off all his clothes. I let him get on his boots. He put everything back on, the tape around his arms and everything, man. And I didn't tell him, but then I think Ron might have went in and told him that we were riveting. And he looks right at me. Oh, and that's when the chase started. So I'm telling you, if he'd have caught me, he'd have broke every bone in my body. But I did stuff like that to him. Uh, What else did I do? One time I left him at a phone booth. I drove off and left him. And then I went back and got him. So he's cussing me the whole next to the trip and stuff. I did that with Ron Simmons, too, one time. Uh, uh, this story here, a lot of people don't know about it. We, it was me, him, and Bradshaw. I think, I don't believe, I think Ron then was the acolytes then. And it was me, him, and Bradshaw, and Godfather. I believe that's all it was. And we had this van, so I was driving a van. So uh, everybody, you know, we, we, you know, we're drinking a lot of beer and stuff, you know, trying. To, we've done working, and so we was on our way. That was the last show, so we was on our way to the town, you know, to fly home the next day. So we's drinking, having a good time. So we's driving on to the town. So you know, when you're drinking a lot of beer, you got to use the bathroom. So we, I think, it was around Rochester, New York. So it's snowing, man. I mean, it's snowing out unbelievably. So I had to pull over on the side of the road, and so when I pulled over on the side, they let everybody out because they couldn't hold it. So everybody's standing on the side of the van, and they're fucking, they're pissing and doing everything. So everybody starts to get in, get in, and I'm not really paying much attention, so I thought everybody was in. So when Godfather and Bradshaw got in, I didn't even think about it. I thought Ron was already in. I drove off and left him in the snow. 
So finally, Bradshaw <laughs> yelled at me. He says, hey, what are you doing? You left run. But now I'm going about maybe a half a mile or something because I think they're ribbing me. I said, Ron is in the truck, so I think they're playing with me. But it was really true. So I had to get back on the side, and I had to bag all the way up almost a mile to pick him up. And when I got back there, he looked like a snowman. He was covered in snow, and boy, was he hot. <laughs> so that was... <laughs> That was something else I'd done, <laughs> and I didn't mean to do that. I thought he was in the band. Yeah, it's so funny because you always hear stories from you know a lot of the you know a lot of the wrestlers saying that the one guy that no one really messed with, like the, they said, the Steiner brothers would prank everybody in WCW. They'd rib everybody. Oh, but they, brother, they I worked with the them. I knew them, brother. Let me tell you what they did one time. We was in Baltimore, Maryland, and they had this the wrestler named Tommy Rich. They, they, you know, didn't know, you know, anybody that walked around trying to be a big prima donna, well, the Steiners would put them in their place, let them know, no, you ain't the big wheel here. So they took Tommy Rich, brother, and they taped him up with duct tape. They taped him all the way up. I mean, his whole body, he looked like a mummy. And they taped his head and everything, and they left just a little bit of tape up from under his nose where he, they, let, they left one nostril open where he could breathe. And they did that to him. They taped him up, and they dared anybody to take the tape off of him. <laughs> they were, they were, they were, they wasn't no joke. Well, they tried to drown Disco Inferno, and the Disco Inferno, they, that kid, they hated him. They tried to drown him one time down, and we were down in Disney. And what did they do to Van Hammer? Van Hammer, I don't know what he remember him, but he was back in the day, and he had this guitar that he was supposed to be playing. And they took the guitar and they cut all the strings on it one time. And when he went to spin it around, it just hit him in the head. It did all kind of stuff. But, man, they they were something. And where were we? was in Charleston, West Virginia one time. And they took they stripped Dallas Page, Diamond Dallas Page. They took all of his clothes off. He was at a battle royal. He was in the ring buck naked. And uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck was managing Dean. I think he was managing Dallas. And Humperdinck had to take his shirt off to give it to Dallas to try to cover up. Now, you see Humberdinger, he's the, got the worst body in the history of the world. So you can imagine how that looked. But they stripped Dallas of all his clothes in the Battle Royal, right in front of all the people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So many funny, like, rip stories. But, you know, you were talking about Ron Simmons, and I guess he was, like, the one guy you, you shouldn't mess with, you shouldn't rip, because he's so tough. And, you know, you always hear the story of the Steiner brothers. Wouldn't, you know, they'd mess with everybody else. They wouldn't mess with Ron. You know, how tough No, well, they, well, they, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't really rip Ron or nothing, much, you know, because Ron wasn't a river, you know what I mean? So, you know, he, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't bother nobody. I mean, Ron, you know, mind his own business for his ribbon and stuff. So, they didn't, no, they didn't bother Ron. They didn't want no, they didn't want no part of that. Now, you know, in WCW, obviously Doom was awesome, loved Doom. They had a great feud with the Steiner brothers. But, you know, there was another tag team that you managed there, and uh, they kind of made a big name for themselves, especially one guy in particular, but that was the Skyscrapers. Sid was part of it, obviously, Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, and then Mean Mark Callis, who people may know today as The Undertaker. What was it like at that point with, the you know, managing the Skyscrapers? Well, it was real good then. Uh, Sid and Danny were were great to work with. Sid, uh, he, he was kind of a problem at times. You know, he just kind of like a kid. You know, he just wanted to have everything his way. But uh, they were fun to work with. Not that you know, and like I said, after Sid got hurt and uh, they brought in Taker, 
uh, it was really good then, and I remember I never forget though, but it was Taker and uh, Spivey one night, and we were in Corpus Christi, and uh, we were working with the Road Warriors, and brother, I think one of the Road Warriors, I don't know which one it was, but one of them stiff Taker, boy, he hit Taker or something, and boy, what did he do that for? And I mean, brother, it was <laughs> fists were flying all over the place, man. I mean, that was a night, you know, I had every, the referee just got out of the way. So that's why I tell people, you know, a lot of people always run up talking about wrestling, spake, and all that. You don't know what you're talking about, I'm telling you. <laughs> you really don't know what you're talking about, so stop saying that, because I've seen guys beat each other to death right there. I was in a, in fact, when I was refereeing one time, I was in a ring with Steve Dr. Dev William, God rest his soul, and Steiner, Rick Steiner. And I think Doc Potato Snarls, it was Steiner, he stiffed uh, 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 Doc. And, boy, it just lit Doc up. And I was standing right over there, and Doc told me, he said, you just get out of the way and stay out of the way. And, brother, they went at it right there in the ring. So that's why I say, you know, a lot of people, they, people just don't know what they're talking about. Absolutely. And if I could just uh, go back to uh, me and Mark, a.k.a. Undertaker, for a second, we just passed basically on Sunday, his 25th anniversary in the WWE, which is, you know, outright uh, amazing and, and insane that he's been on top literally for 25 years in, in the WWE. But what were your thoughts of him right. then, you know, thinking like, man, were you looking at him like, man, this guy has potential. He's going to be a huge star one day. Well, uh, working with him back in the day, yes, I did. I always thought that I because, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people don't know he was trained by a good guy, Don Jardine. He was the original spoiler. So he, and he was a great worker, and he was the one that started the thing where Taker walks on the top rope, where Don Jardine used to do that, the spoiler, and that's, I, that's where Taker, I believe that's where that came from. But let me tell you something about Undertaker, uh, Mark. He's one of the nicest guys that you could ever meet. He's always wanting to help people. Uh, even when he comes back to TVs and stuff now, he goes down to the ring and try to help the young talent out, you know, guys with their math. And he don't have to do that. But, he'll, you know, he goes out of his way to see about people and to help people. And like I said, man, he is one of the nicest guys in this business that you can meet. And, I mean, he, I mean he'll go out of his way to do whatever he can to help you. So I was glad to be working with him. I had a great time with him in WCW. And uh, I'll never forget that was uh, when he left WCW. I think Ole Anderson was there. He was doing the booking. And Ole wasn't happy with him. Ole told him he had red hair and he'd never draw a dime or something. And so I think that did it for Taker. Taker just left. And the next thing I know, you know, he was in the WWE and he was the Undertaker. And I'm just glad. You know, I'm, I'm glad for anybody there because a lot of those people back in the day, you know, they always talked about people couldn't do this or people didn't have no talent. And I was just like, and I was one of them, and I was just glad to take her and people like myself was able to go to Vince and we was able to prove ourselves and let them know we did, we do got talent. We know what we got. You know, you just don't want to, don't want to use us. That's what the deal was. So I was just glad he was able to prove himself. And he's a, he, was a, he, he started out as a big star there, and he's still a big star today. Yeah, a quarter century later, which is hard to believe. But, you know, you think about 25 years ago when you managed in the skyscrapers in Doom, and at that point in the NWA into WCW, you know, you had Jim Cornette, you had Gary Hart, you had Paul Lee and yourself. And you think about the role of the manager back then versus now, and even talking about Vince wanting to bring back managers, that was still 2002. What do you miss about the manager being involved in the, you know, match-to-match you know, uh, outcomes and the, uh, the the bookings, is that is that something that's like a a past, 
you know, like renaissance thing now. The manager is no longer a thing, but do you miss that as a part of wrestling? Well, uh, no, not really. You know what I mean? See, when in wrestling, you know, when something is done with, you know, you have to adapt. You have to move on to something else. You can't linger in the past because that's 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 not what they live for. You live for the future and you live for what you, what's happening right now to try to see what's going to make money. Um, I think Vince rarely does it. I saw Zeb Coulter, I guess he uh, – he, maybe he's back in the manager role. I saw him the other night with Alberto Del Rio. But I don't think the management role now is a big deal. You know, I don't know why. You know, maybe, the, you know, I've, I've, and there are a lot of guys that I've seen that could use people that could talk. They need a mouthpiece. And there are a lot of guys in the WWE right now that need a mouthpiece. So, I mean, you know, I think basically, you know, they just, you know, letting the guys, you know, do it on your own. You know, whether, you know, you may need a mouthpiece, but it's always good that you need to learn this on your own. You need to be able to talk and get your own self over. But some guys can do that and some guys can't. But the guys that can, I think, you know, they should bring managers back or somebody that could talk to help them, you know, and get them over. Yeah, and the mouthpiece, you know, that you were that for so many great superstars. You think about some of the other guys you managed, like Johnny B. Bad. You know, you even had the one-man gang and Too Cold, and later on into your tenure at WCW, you had Jim Powers and Ice Train. But was there one guy you felt like you as a mouthpiece just really enhanced their overall perception once you were paired with them? It was Ice Train. Ice Train was one of them. You know, he wasn't a great talker, so I was really a big help to him. With Johnny B. Bad, I was a great talker for him because he didn't want to talk, you know. And then, you know, like I said, with his character, he had, he had to look. All we had to do is all I had to do was talk about that look. So uh, he was, he was another one, and I think uh, let's see who else did I have that uh, I was real valuable to for as a manager. Uh, Jim Powers. Jim Powers was was a kid that uh, I really enjoyed working with, and I was able to talk for. Her. And another kid I didn't have him too long was Joey Maggs. I think he's deceased now, but. He was another kid that, you know, was green and trying to learn, and I was able to come out and talk and help him. So there are a lot of guys there that really appreciated, you know, that I worked with that really appreciated what I did for them. So it was always teamwork, and that's the way I always liked it. You know, it ain't all about me or you. It's about us. You know, let's get out here and do what we got to do. Yeah, and one guy, you know, I, I, I completely agree with you about Jim Powers because that was also at a time where the booking was very much focused on the NWO, and when you come out on those Saturday night shows with Jim Powers and with Ice Train, you really did bring up their, you know, I guess you could say either star power or their role in the company just by having you in their corner. But another guy who we didn't mention was Norman the Lunatic, who, of course, Teddy Long, Norman the Lunatic, that was really the launch for Teddy Long to uh, come into the managerial role. What was your thoughts and memories of working with Norman the Lunatic at that point? Well, I had a. Uh, it was great with him. It gave me the opportunity to kind of showcase my talents a little bit too, you know, where I could, you know, do, you know, get my talking in there. But uh, Ole Anderson was doing the booking around that time, and so you know he didn't really care for me or 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 Norman the Lunatic. So that's why we really didn't get over with that. But I enjoyed working with him. It was, you know, everything was brand new. You know, when I started managing guys, so it was just an ex- a great experience for me which helped me to, you know, get over in the WWE when I went there, you know, because I started going back my memories and stuff with what I did in WCW, and there were no writers there. You know, you talked right off the top of your head, you know,
know, nobody wrote anything for you. So that's what I'm saying. That's why I was able to, for my character to be me because I had to wing everything I did in NWA and WCW. So when I went to New York, you know, it was all natural for me. But with Norman, I enjoyed working with him too. Now, obviously, you know, you're in WCW. You were a referee, and I remember you in the uh, the Steamboat Flyer Chi-Town Rumble match very, very well. But who was the one that noticed you? Because I know you did a little bit of a heel ref gimmick kind of thing, but who was the first person to notice, like, man, this guy can really talk. We should probably make him a manager. Well, the first guy that, that did that discover me was Kevin Sullivan and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, God rest his soul. And I'll tell you how it all happened. We, uh, I started riding with them, you know, they, you know, uh, to, to different shows. And uh, like I said, I learned a lot from Kevin Sullivan. He was one of the guys that trained me and one of the guys that gave me a lot of knowledge for his storyline because when he was booking WCW, I was Kevin's right-hand man. And so I was always there in all the meetings and all, you know, I saw all the stuff. I was right there with Hogan when they went, you know, over stuff. So I was able to learn a lot. But Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Kevin Sullivan were the guys. And when I started riding with them, well, one night, I was, we, you know, we was all talking, and you know, and I was telling them, you know, what I did before I got into wrestling. Well, what I did before I got into wrestling, I was a disc jockey on a radio station, and so what I started doing in the, you, with them as we was riding, I would turn the radio down and start DJing for them, you know. And so Kevin, that's when they understood that I could talk. So Kevin took the idea, you know, to uh, to the booker to you know make me a manager. So uh, it didn't happen right away. I don't think they wanted to do it, but then I think Jim Ross had a big part in it. They went to Jim Ross, and Jim Ross went to the booker. And so that's how I became a manager because I, Kevin Sullivan and Eddie Gibbs, I showed them what I could do for his talking, and that's how that happened. Now, what was great about that is, you know, because they finally realized you know, your potential and, you know, you become an on-air character, and obviously you enhance everything you're doing. And I loved uh, hearing Gary Michael Capetta saying, Theodore R. Long, I mean, just, you know, with doom, it's just, yeah. you know, ingrained in my head because it's just a great memory as a kid. But, you know, did you kind of think all along, like, man, I really should, because, you know, you're the ref, but do you really think all along, like, man, I can really, you know, outshine some of these guys? Because, you know, you became manager of the year. Do you, you know, kind of see that in yourself, that, man, I could definitely do this? Well, I... I, I, as time went on, <laughs> you know, then I found out I, that I could do it. You know, a lot of times I went out in, in WCW and NWA, and I didn't have a clue about what I was doing. They just told me, they said, here's what you, we need to talk about. And so I had to come up with all that on my own, and I was clueless to why I was even talking about that. I had no idea about how you're supposed to draw money. Okay, I didn't learn none of that. You know, I, the, all I was taught was just to go out and do what I do, you know. But the, but that's why, you know, I understood so much. I learned so much when I went to work for Vince because I understood that what this was all about. This is about money. This is how to draw. You have to draw money here, okay. This is it, 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 That's what this is all about. And I didn't understand that it was a business. You know, I thought it was like a show. You know, so that's what I'm saying. God has blessed me and brought me through a lot because I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. I had no idea what I was really, my purpose, you know, was really, what I was really out there for. So, you know, like I said, I, I, I learned as I went on. I, and i tell you somebody else who helped me, too, was, was really good, and that was Dusty Rhodes. Uh, God rest his soul. He gave me my first job. But Dusty would have a production meeting. He was the booker with Jim Crockett. 
And on Saturday mornings we was doing WCW TV, and I was I was uh, I was like a gopher. I was going to get coffee and stuff for the guys, and I was going to get coffee for all the people in the production meeting: J.J. Dillon, Jim Crockett, Dusty, and, and uh, other people. So Dusty, when I would bring coffee in there to give everybody, Dusty would make me stay in the room. You know, now I'm scared to death. I don't know why I'm in here with all these people. And I don't know what they're talking about. They're going over the shows and stuff, but I didn't understand a bit of that. But Dusty would make me stay in the room. Well, not make me, but he would ask me to stay in the room and, you know, just to stand there. And I would stand there and I would listen to them go over the whole show. I didn't know what I was listening to, but when I went to work for Vince, that's when it all come back to me, that what they were doing and what I was learning right there, and I didn't forget none of that. You know, I have a great memory because everything I go out on TV and do, it's written, and I remember everything. The last thing I did with SmackDown, you know, they gave me a 15-man tag team match, and I had to remember every one of those names. So I was able to keep that in my head, what I'd learned back in the day, and that's why I was able to be so successful with Vince. And plus, I was riding with guys that knew the business. Gary Hart was a genius. He knew the business back and forth, you know, and he, I learned a lot from him, uh, especially Kevin and Eddie Gilbert. So I rode with a lot of guys that had a lot of knowledge, and I learned from them, and that's how I was able to be successful, and I was able to make it because I remembered all that stuff that I learned. Now, obviously, you know, Dusty, one of the greatest of all times, definitely, you know, in front of the camera and, quite frankly, you know, behind the camera as well. And it's great to, you know, kind of be under his learning tree and learn from him. But, you know, I just Oh, yeah, man. There with... God, he was great. Oh, yeah. He's just a great, great mind for the business and, uh, you know, probably would be on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling if there was ever such a thing. But, you know, you're sitting there kind of under the learning tree of him and then you're in WCW with Kevin Sullivan. Was there anything in those booking meetings and stuff, you know, especially around the NWO time that you were really, you know, alarmed by, like, you know, from like a talent perspective, anybody coming into those meetings trying to, um, you know, put creative control or anything like that? Well, they had a, you know, they, they, you know what, every back then, you know, everybody was having a great time. It was a lot of fun back then, and everybody, you know, wasn't nobody mad or nothing. You know, people were just, the morale was up. So basically, whatever went down in those production meetings, you know what I mean? I never seen anybody argue about anything or didn't want to do something. Uh, you may have had Hogan right there, you know, that maybe would want to change something, you know what I mean? But it wasn't really no big deal. But everybody got along. Everybody, I mean, everybody was making money, you know, so when you're making money, you're happy. So everybody's making money. It, uh, the houses were good. Business was good. So everybody got along back then. I miss those days, man. It was a lot of fun back there. And like I said, like now, you know, some of the guys, I still talk to some of them, you know, and it's not fun anymore. You know what I mean? So you got to make this fun. You got to be happy out there. I found that out the hard way, man. It is so easy to walk out with those people and be a part of them and be happy with what you're doing. If you're not happy, you're not going to get over that is definitely, definitely true. And you kind of brought up a point before, and, you know, since I saw her, I think it was last week and the weekend before an autograph signing walking around in a bikini, I got to ask you about her, uh, you know, talking about being happy, and that was uh, with Crystal Marshall and that whole wedding angle. Was that something you were happy with and kind of, you know, like you, you said you had fun with? And was that something, you know, you kind of just took in stride and thought, you know, this is a really fun angle? 
Well, I, yeah, I was happy with that, too, because, you know, you got to look at this. Here I am involved in something else. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was like that. And, and, and my thing was, I, you know, you, you, you know, I knew exactly how I, you know, what my position was. I knew, you know, where I stood in the WWE, but I never let that went to my head. You know what I mean? A lot of times, you know, they get, a lot of guys get successful and get a big push. You know, it goes to their head. Then they start talking about well, what they don't want to do and what they're not going to do. I was never like that. You know, I could never do that to Vince. That man gave me the opportunity of a lifetime, so I would never say no to him about nothing. And there was a time that was something I didn't like. I think it was with Drew McIntyre. They wanted me to crawl around on my knees in the ring and him just humiliate me. Now, me at a standpoint, I'm like, well, you know, I, you know I'm you know, i just saying to myself, but I also said, wait, this is what Vince wants, and this is not real. This is what I have to do. And so it was It was kind of like that with, with me, man. As you know, I didn't... You know, it was just, it was always, you know, I just wanted to make sure I did it right. Absolutely. And we recently talked to uh, Pete Gass, you know, former great member of the Mean Street Posse, and he kind of had a little bit of a funny story about you. He said that uh, the APA kind of took you to uh, wrestler's court, and they were, you know, holding you up there <laughs> saying, saying you're very frugal. <laughs> What is the true story behind that? I mean, he went into a little bit of detail, but not a lot. Okay, well, they, they took me to the, the reservoir for selling uh, Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I mean, you know, I could, you know, I had somebody that was giving it to me. It was free. I had lots of it, and so you know, all the boys, you know, what well, you just tell me this, and I'll be honest. What man do you know that don't want his shit to be hard? It's just that simple, okay? <laughs> so, you know, ain't a man on this planet that don't want his shit to be hard. So, and, and back that, at that time, I think that it had just started coming out, you know? So I'd give, I'd share, you know, I'd always hook a guy, you know, I'd give him one for free, you know, and let him try it. Then, you know, I knew once he tried it, I knew he was going to come back. So then I, so I, I was just selling Viagra to the boys, and so they took me to Russell's Court for that. And the funny part about it is that I had to get a lawyer, and so I didn't have too long to get a lawyer. So I went and found Mae Young, God rest her soul, and Mae Young was my lawyer. So she defended me in Russell's Court against the Viagra scandal, which I was found guilty, and uh, <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I had to, uh, what did I do? I think I had to buy two or three cases of beer for at least a month and some other stuff I had to do. So they found me guilty. But it was fun, man. Russell Court was fun. Undertaker was a judge. So it was great, man. It was great. We had, we had fun doing that. I mean, God, that's that's what I mean about having fun. It was, it was just, just great back then. I didn't care about going to court. It was fun. We was having fun. But that's what? the true story on it. It took me to court for selling Viagra. <laughs> that is totally amazing. <laughs> was uh, Undertaker always uh, a judge? You know, when you guys had the wrestler sport. Yeah, he was always a judge. Is that kind he of? He was like always a judge. We had to put a few. We had to put a few cases off. Something at one time, you know, because Taker wasn't able to do them. But you know, I think he was hurt or something. But we had a lot of cases we needed to take to court, but we couldn't get it done because we just wanted to wait on Taker. He was the only he was the only guy that could really be the judge. <laughs> was he kind of like you know the judge of the locker room as well? You know, basically the locker room leader. 
Oh well, yeah. Taker was always a locker room leader. I mean, you know, and he and he knew, you know, he knew how to get along with people. He knew how to talk to people. You know, if the locker room was dirty and the guys were slipping, not cleaning up and stuff. You know, he didn't go in yelling at them, and you know, he'd go in like a man and talk to them like men and get them to clean the place up. And that's how, that's how it was, you know. But he, he was always a team leader. I'm telling you, you don't find him like him anymore. He's the best. Uh, and it's crazy, you know, like we said before, uh, crazy that it's been, you know, 25 years with him. And I remember on SmackDown, you kind of had a brief feud with him. It was, uh, he, I think it was the Druids, and they put you in the casket. You kind of screwed him with the whole yeah. CM Punk angle. You know, do you remember uh, fond memories of that? Because I just remember that being a cool storyline, CM Punk obviously being a Yeah, uh, you know, I was, I was about to tell you about that, too, about, you know, me, me remembering what I need to do. Well, this was great for me. I, I loved doing it. Well, I was laying, when I was on the stage there in the coffin, I would sit there. They had me sitting on that stage, I guess maybe 10 minutes, you know, just maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know really. But it was so hot in that thing till I had to take my hand and just raise the lid just a little, you know, where I wouldn't, you know, give it away where you could see the lid on. But that was the only way I was getting air so I could breathe. So I'd let that up and then finally... When they come and got me and we were rolling down the ramp, I could hear the people. And my thought was then, it says, God, I got them now. I got them now because I knew that everybody thought it was the undertaker in that coffin. And I, and I could hear them out there, and I'm like, yes, 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 this is great. And that's what, when, when Punk opened the lid and for them to see me, that's when I really turned it on because me hearing them, it, that made me get into it more, you know, because I knew now this is what they want. And when he opened that lid up, man, that that it was unbelievable, man. I could hear the response, but I enjoyed that. was a lot of fun. I got a standing ovation for that, too. I went back up and Ben stood up and just clapped. Everybody did. Hmm. Oh, it's a great one, especially when you look back and you think about it. It's not, I mean, it's not the only of, of the great angles you were a part of. But all the other general managers that you were, quote, up against is the SmackDown general manager. You had Eric Bischoff. You had Vicky Guerrero. You had the aforementioned John Laurinaitis, a.k.a. Johnny Ace. And the longevity of you, we've gone into it and how, you know, you're a team player and you really just you shine so well. But when you think about that and, the, you know, the storyline part, what was your favorite feud of those general managers with Bischoff, with Vicky, with Johnny Ace? Is there one that really you like, you love the most? You obviously had a WrestleMania match with uh, – Team Teddy versus Team Johnny. Right. Well, the greatest feud that I enjoyed was working with Vicky Guerrero. That was the greatest time of my life. And she was such a sweetheart, you know, and, 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 and she would always listen. And I was always able, to, you know, to give her a little ideas. I mean, one time, you know, we were doing a deal where she, I was rolling her down in the wheelchair. And uh, I, I and I was telling we had something. It was a pro. Oh no, I know it was something. We was cutting. Up. We was doing a doing a promo, and she was supposed to send me to get the. Want me to go get her a cup of coffee? And I told her. I said, when we get to that part, I said I'm gonna act just like I don't want to go, like I always do. I'm gonna give you that look, like I ain't going to get you nothing. I mean, I told her. I said, then you turn and you get right into me. I mean, give it to me. Tell me I'm fired. Uh, I, I'll be gone right away. You ain't playing or something. You know, I made a really good answer. Now, get on me. I mean, humiliate me. Make me feel like dirt. You know, and I said, that way I'll be able to sell that. You know, and you you watch, if you can go back to any of that, you watch the expression on my face. And I'm selling, I'm telling her, like, okay, one day. 
One day, <laughs> you know, and that's and Michael Hayes would always come to me and tell me he that you I could do things with my face and get over. I didn't even have to talk. I my just my facials would get over. So that's what Vince like too. You know, I was all I you know I made things real. And that's great that you say that about Vicky because you don't want to talk about you know somebody who came out of left field and really just thrived in a television capacity and was a heat magnet to say the least, and I'm sure that there was probably a countless amount of promos that had to wait a few seconds just for the booze to settle down as soon as she came out. But did you see her blossoming as fast as she did into that general manager, you know, heel uh, magnet of heat that she ended up being? Well, not right at first I didn't, but, you know, you could see it coming because it started to come quick. You know, it wasn't something that was lingering around. And, uh uh, like I said, and, and I am the one that told her to start using excuse me. That was me because somebody said that to her, and she said it one time just out of the blue. And then I heard the people, and I told her, I said, that's it. That's it right there. That's your deal. Excuse me. I said, continue to do that. And, uh, you know, she was just great to work with, man, but she really did blossom. But like I said, I didn't see it right away, but it didn't, it didn't take long. It came right quick. It was real quick, and so... She got over with it, and we had a great time doing it. And you could actually, if you can, if you think about it, and if you follow the career of Teddy Long as much as John and I have, you could kind of see Excuse Me coming out of Teddy Long. So it seems like that's the perfect fit for somebody to give her that line, it being you. But, you know, you've mentioned a couple of the catchphrases, a couple of the key ones. Is there anyone that really is your personal favorite if you had to pick? Uh, well, one for myself. Yeah, if you if your favorite, you know, oh. player, Thug and Bug, which is your favorite of all of them? Uh, player. <laughs> I guess player would have to be, and, I, and that basically that's only one word. But I used to do another one there. Now you can believe that player, or you or keep it pushing. Those were good ones that I liked using too. I had a lot of them, you know, and anyone I, I came up with them, you know, and I just use them. Like I'm trying to, I'm coming up with something now that I, I, I put it out on my Twitter, you know. I think my new phrase is going to be, "I'm telling you," you know, you know. I'll say something. Well, you know, you had a good day today. I'm telling you, player. So I think I want to use that. I'm telling you. Uh, it's, it's it's really it's you have such a unique way of coming up with so many great things I and mean, we've already said down with the brown or back to mac and it seems so simple but I'm sure if we all sat down and really tried to think of something that good we probably would fail miserably but you know you just have such a, a great wit to you and do you ever do these things just come to you when you're you know just kind of doing your thing and you're like wow that works I think I'm going to try that one out so how's that creative process for you is it just something natural well, it's kind of natural. You know, I sit down and I think about things, and sometimes, you know, I'm listening to songs and stuff, and I'll hear something, you know, maybe a verse on a song or something that sounded good to me, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to use that. I like that. You know, but kind of I just sit down and just think of things myself, and, you know, and I just use them. Sometimes, man, I don't even really think about it. I'll be, you know, when I was doing TV, I'd sit down and go over my deal, my script, whatever I was supposed to say, and then I'd say, like, well, let me see. Let me stick something in here. I said, this, because in my head, it, it didn't sound good to me. You know what I mean? I needed to add a little something, you know, and I would come up, you know, like with the believe that. Can you, you feel me? You know, stuff like that. You know, I'd, I'd find the right place to put that in. I never will forget one time I did something with uh, Billy Kidman. And I told him about something, and my last words to him, you know, I looked right at him. I said, now, can you feel me? You feel me, Billy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know what I mean? And I just, you know, you know, just, you know, I just put my hand on him and touched him. You feel me, player? <laughs> 
you know, just like they just come natural to me. It was just my thing. Like I said, God just blessed me with, you know, to just come up with stuff. And you got to love it, you know, Let Me Holla at you play and, and all the awesome uh, yeah. that's great. You, you, they were so, you know, like they're so catchy and, you know, not just the great catchphrases, but they stick with you and you just, you can almost say them without even realizing you're saying them. It's, it's really, really funny. Well, and, and and I do that right now, I swear, man. I walk in the gym, you know, and the guys, you know, speak to me, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't even think about it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm right, right back at, what's up, player? You know? <laughs> You know, player. You know, I'll, I'll talk right now in my conversation, player. Listen, you know, I just, I just right out and say it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one guy that, that we didn't mention yet, but I thought you guys had great chemistry. I know you guys worked together, you know, on SmackDown and stuff, and I think you even worked in his uh, promotion, Re- Reality Wrestling, and that's Booker T. You guys always seem like yeah. you're having fun and having a lot of great chemistry together. What is it about you and Booker together? Well, Book was, uh, you know, he's a great guy, nice guy too, man. And, uh, you know, I enjoy working with Book because, you know, Book is kind of creative like me. You know, he would come up with stuff too, you know, catchphrases and stuff, you know. And then me and him would, think, you know, start saying different little things. We started laughing about him, you know. And Book like, yeah, I got, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this, dog. You know, <laughs> so so it was great, you know, with Book. I had a chance to do his first pay-per-view that he had uh, with uh, Reality of Wrestling. The first pay-per-view he had, I was able to go down and just be general manager for the night. But uh, I enjoyed working with Book. We had great chemistry together. There was a storyline that they were going to go with, but they didn't do it. It was after I, they made Book general manager SmackDown. They were going to do a deal where I was going to turn heel on him because I was going to be basically jealous of him coming in and taking my spot or either he wouldn't listen. I was trying to give him the right advice and he wouldn't listen. And so I was going to turn heel. And then I think maybe I may have went back into managing then, but that never did happen. Now, as we start to wind it down here, very, very curious, uh, especially with your, you know, long and illustrious career, you know, spanning 30 years do you have a favorite, you know, match or maybe matches that you were a part of? Maybe, you know, it was Doom against the Steiners or, you know, something along those lines. But is there a favorite match, you know, you were a part of in, in any way? Well, as soon as you brought that up, yeah, I was going to say that, man. It was a Doom against the Steiners at Capital Comeback in Washington, D.C., where they where Butch and Run became the, the World Tag Team Champions. That was a match that I was great, you know, to, definitely wanted to be a part of because they put the belts on them that night and that way you know like i said they were the first afro-american tag team champion but that was a great match i was glad to be involved in that and the other match that i really would uh stands out with me is when i was a referee and it was the rick flair and ricky steamboat chi town heat when i had the opportunity to referee that i mean golly you're in there with two of the greatest guys in the world so that was a big deal for me, and that was one of the great matches. And that one and the tag team match with the Steiners and uh, and Butch and Run. Absolutely, and Flair Steamboat, obviously one of the greatest matches of all time, and Steiners. Oh Doom, yeah, man. That, yeah, Steiners Doom, great, great tag team, great chemistry together, and um, this Doom reunion that you mentioned before, that has got me very, very intrigued. I was definitely a big Doom fan. Well, we're trying to, you know, get to work on it. I, uh, as a guy that Roger Chirot, I think Roger's last name is, he's a uh, local uh, wrestling uh, promoter up in uh, uh, Boston in the Massachusetts area. And uh, I did a lot of work for him, you know, uh, in that jersey at the wrestling conventions and stuff. And so he gave me a call, and he told me that he was able 
to get in touch with what she finally found him because I didn't, you know, we and Ron both, we tried everything we could to try to get a hold of him. We couldn't, nobody could find him. So, and uh, when Roger told me that, then I told him, I said, well, hey, man, that's the deal right there. Nobody's had a chance to see, you know, Doom, you know, together. So uh, he's the one guy that's going to put that together. So uh, I'm just waiting on him to see when he wants to do it. But certainly when that gets ready to happen, you know, it'll be out on my website and on my Twitter, man. We'll let everybody know. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys can be able to make that. Or, you know, we'll get you some video. Get to, you know, be able to, uh, maybe you can call me back and we can talk to you again and I can kind of tell you how that went. Definitely. We would definitely, definitely love that. But, uh one other question, you know, I had for you, and that is so interesting, and I absolutely love that. I'm definitely going to, you know, promote that any way we can, and we'll definitely, you know, keep our eyes and our ears open for a Doom reunion. But, you know, outside of Doom and, and maybe more towards your WWF days, but do you have a favorite angle or maybe a favorite moment that you were a part of? Uh, Well, let's see. I think that the favorite angle that I – that uh. I can think of. I think we was in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, we did an angle with the Midnight Express. And uh, I think Paul Dangerously, Paul Lee was uh, was managing. Uh, uh, what was it? it? Was Dennis Condry? I'd be maybe in Bobby Eaton. And there was a deal where Paul would throw the phone in, and it was a deal where I didn't see the phone. But then, as I went down to get the get, get, to uh, make the one, two, three. I think I pointed, I, oh, no, I went down to do the one, two, three, and I turn around, and then all of a sudden I see the phone, and I stop my count, and the people went nuts. So that was really a good one. I really enjoyed, you know, doing that. And then some of the other angles I was in, you know, with Butch and Ron, you know, a lot of things I did with the Road Warriors, you know, where I'd jump up and distract the referee so we could, you know, you know, remain champions or beat the Road Warriors. So it was a lot of stuff, with, especially with Paul Ellerin. I really enjoyed working with him. Especially when we had a boxing match, if you can remember that, it was half versus half, and that match was also at Capital Combat. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. I mean, so many great memories, so many great moments, and this has been so much fun, and I really, and John as well, we appreciate you spending as much time as you have talking about your amazing career. But before we let you go, and before we get into your plugs one more time, we always like to ask, you know, what kind of legacy do you leave on the business, or what, what do you see yourself doing in five years? But... You know, you've been so humble about everything that you've done, and you've given your talents uh, to the proper place of where it comes from. But if you really do look back on it and you see the, you know, where you came from in the business and how you built yourself up, and you really, I mean, and I know it'll happen sooner or later, but the WWE will be coming for that Hall of Fame. But what's Teddy Long's uh, stamp on the wrestling business when you close the book? Well, you know, I'm going to try to uh... – I guess just do, well, I'm not going to say try. I'm going to do this. My legacy that I'm going to leave with this business is that I help somebody, and that's what I want to do. You know, I want to pass what knowledge that I have along to a lot of the young talent that are coming up in the day trying to make it in the in the wrestling business. And that's one reason that I went down to the AWF to help this guy out, because he, I went down there first to do a signing for him, and I saw what he had, and he has a lot. A lot of young kids there, and a lot of them are good workers, and a lot of them are bad workers, which need they need some training. And I know a lot of guys that want to help me for, as you know, they got nothing else to do. Uh, Tony Alice is one of them. Uh, Bobby Eden, that was formed there, the Midnight Express. You know, he told me anytime I can call him, you know, to come down and get in the ring with these guys that he wants to do it. 
So my legacy is I want to leave is I want to want to help somebody, and I want them to say that you know Teddy Long helped me, and you know if and if it's all possible, if they're blessed, you know I hope they can make it in the wrestling business. So. That's the legacy I want to leave. That Teddy Long helped somebody. He never mistreated anybody. I didn't. I don't lie to people. You know what I mean. And I never did anybody wrong. And that. You know. I just want to. You know. Go out and they, where people can say, Hey, Teddy Long. He always helped me. And people will tell you that now. A lot of people that I have helped. You know. You don't. You ain't never heard nothing bad about me. So that's 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 it. That's it for me. That's uh, excellent, and it's so well said. And please, you, you hit it before, but please give it to us one more time where we can find everything there is for Teddy Long. Okay, well, my website is teddylongwrestling.com. Uh, my Twitter is at teddyplayerlong, and my Instagram is uh, teddylongwrestling. So you can find me right there, man, and I appreciate it. You know, if you know, for all the friends that I got on Facebook, man, you'd be amazed that now the people – have found out, you know, that they can get in touch with me, man. I had over 5,000 people on Facebook, all 5,000 friends, and I got that in less than, well, maybe two days. So, <laughs> so I'm telling you, man, it's unbelievable. And like I said, all day today, my phone's just been going off. That's why I told you at the beginning, my cell phone was dead. I had to put it on charge because I'm accepting friends and, you know, you know, and going on and, you know, and, and people are just, it's amazing, man. It's unbelievable, but I'm just glad to know that I'm, you know, I'm still liked and everybody ain't forgot about me, you know, and people still want to be a part of what Teddy Long is doing. And that's great. I, I, I thank them for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed, man. And it's no, like you guys, you know, you wanted to call me and talk to me, man. And I appreciate that. I'm honored to be here, you know, cause a lot of people don't do that. You know, a lot of guys, you know, once you're off TV, you know, a lot of companies, they don't even, they don't talk to you no more. You ain't nobody, you know. But to be able to come in and talk to you guys on your podcast, you know, I am somebody to y'all, and I am somebody to your fans. And so I know I'm somebody. So anybody that don't want to talk to me, don't bother me at all because there's people like you that I can talk to. Saturday, December 5th, WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff comes to Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. For more information, please visit CollectorsWorldVA.com. And pricing starts at only $25. That's WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, Saturday, December 5th, 2015. From 1130 to 1230 at Collector's World in Annandale, Virginia. Visit CollectorsWorldVA.com for more information. Because it's going to be absolutely wonderful.